Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. We are in Baldy's labour of love, counting down into the top 10 cricketers of all time, according to the on the fritz algorithm that's been developed um, it's a lot of grief this algorithm wow it's, look it's just the shtick now isn't it yeah um, fair enough but we are talking about three fantastic players that span um look i guess a couple from the modern era and and one for very much not from the modern era we're going to put more time on the clock for this because as per previous episodes we've we've discussed five players a piece we're now three per episode what time do you want for these guys baldy Ten Ar- arbitrarily eight to ten minutes okay so nine fair ten. enough <laughs> yep awesome so we're going to put nine minutes on the clock who is in at number 10 in our cricketing hall of fame number 10 this is a little bit controversial because he only played 27 test matches so Shane Bond. But not quite Shane Bond uh, similar though but very different in a lot of ways <laughs> uh, Sid Barnes FSF Barnes I'll get that right eventually it's very very difficult 27 test matches 189 wickets in 27 test matches at an average of 16.43 and a strike rate of 41.6 and 24 five wicket hauls in 27 matches so he averaged a five wicket haul in like 92 percent of his matches outrageous performance nine years as a test cricketer one good that's reasonable Two excellent and five outstanding. So uh, he went basically seven out of nine, averaging less than 25 or something outrageous. Um, I just want to point out his career finished when World War One started. So he's pre, not just pre-World War Two, but pre-World War One. His stats from 1912, 1913, 1914, so up to the First World War, 13 tests, 110 wickets in 13 tests, at an average of 12.7 and a strike rate of 32, 15 fivefers in 13 tests and six tenfers at a rate of 8.46 wickets per test. Sid Barnes, best bowler ever. Well, and, and well, I was just going to say, you talking about the war and things there, it's something I hadn't actually thought of, but then uh, you look at the length of his career after that, whether it's club or minor counties and things, Hard to argue that he didn't lose some time and and you know would have much many at, more at his tests peak, at his peak absolutely of, of you know those four or five years of of the war as well so yeah unbelievable the fascinating thing for me is just the way that his career is so different to most if not all the other players that we've talked about um, didn't play first class cricket for a, you know a large part of his career preferring to play in the leagues um, where literally you know th- these aren't apocryphal tales they, they handed round a hat particularly when he took a five wicket haul which was pretty much every um, every week and um, the, the memory I have he actually is from my home club um, the, so the first club I played for as, as a boy Smethwick in the in the Birmingham league and remember vividly um Partly because um, it appeared on a a documentary, but we were lucky enough to have a couple of really good overseas professionals during my time at the club, um, one of which was Steve Waugh, who we've talked about on the the pod, and Wazim Akram as well. And we had a really, really eccentric old president who actually found Steve War when he started and found Wazim Akram when he started and essentially introduced himself by saying, you are following in some great footsteps here. SF Barnes played at this club. And both Steve War, um, my dad tells that the anecdote as well, because he was um, in the side at that point um, with with Steve War. But Steve War and Wazim Akram both knew who he was. Mm. Both knew about his, you know, his, his sort of history. So you know, they're keen mm. students of the game. I think both of them. Um, but just shows, as you said, Bordy, 
best bowler in the world isn't you know isn't hyperbole it's you know it, it's a genuine argument when you've got stats that good yeah and i mean statistically just in 20 what 27 tests and i'll get to you soon Stuart. I'll, I'll i'll let the microphone go once i've finished with all these stats um in t- just 27 tests so what uh what's that one seventh of the tests that jimmy anderson's played maybe less i mass is not brilliant tonight sixth in ten fers that he got seven of them second in five fers uh, second in 10 wickets per um, 100 tests, first in five wickets per 100 tests, best AARP ever, second best average ever, third best strike rate ever. All of that, top three, top five, top six, take your pick. The only thing he doesn't have is number of wickets, 189, because he only played 20 tests. Oh, and he took more wickets per match than anyone else ever. I'll shut up now. So, you know, I um, as, as someone probably of the younger generation, I went to YouTube to look for... Um, <laughs> A little bit of you know the eye test for um, uh, Sid Barnes, but I don't think they they didn't have much around in the early 1900s. But I guess in in order to actually assess him and understand you know where he sits in this this pantheon of, of greatness, I guess I know his numbers, I know who he is, you know I know his story. I just don't know how to place him against mm. some of the bowlers you know that we've talked about, Malcolm Marshalls, uh, Dale Staines, Pat Cummins, all of those great bowlers that we, we've talked about so far. This is where I'm going to come to you, Bordy, and I think the only way we can really compare him on, you know, in that era where they had, you mm-hmm. know, uncovered pitches, things like that, is to compare him against people he was playing against at that time. So I need you to paint me a picture there of, of why he's the greatest bowler of all time. I, I certainly can. I mean, there's there's one measure that stands up across eras, or should stand up across eras, and that's um, average above replacement. So he's average above replacement, best in the world. Malcolm Marshall second. They're the only two bowlers that have an average above or below replacement of plus 10 or better. So only only two bowlers to have ever done that. In terms of the comparison to his peers, between 1901 and 1914, there were 14 bowlers who basically bowled in 30 innings or more in test cricket. There were only 14. So it's a reasonably small sample size. And it ranges from Barnes at number one, who averaged 16.4, and uh, a guy called Brond from England, who averaged 38. So that's the kind of range between the two. The only one who gets close to Sid Barnes is Blythe from England, who averaged 18.6 and had a reasonably similar strike rate, 45.4. But everybody else, Woolley, Rhodes, Noble, Faulkner, McCartney, everyone, 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 is 23 or more. So he is by far, uh, with Blythe, who only played 19 tests and took 100 wickets, by far the best bowler of that era. And if you project that out across eras, I mean, the the rate at which he took bags of wickets is unparalleled. The rate at which he took wickets per test is unparalleled. And you could talk about uh, what help did he have. Well, he had another great fast bowler or another great bowler at the other end, although Blythe, I think, was slow left arm uh, as opposed to a seamer. So, you know, you could talk about bowling in partnerships or whatever, but Really, from a statistical point of view, there is no better bowler that's ever played Test cricket than than SF Barnes from a statistical point of view. Yeah, look, I I had sort of similar thoughts about than Raj. It's it's really hard in my head to kind of yeah go oh well he's the best bowler of all time when you have you can't see him and and I guess in those days you know they're only playing a very small number of teams. Mm. Binksy's point about the careers, the different types of careers. Like you look at Barnes's career. He played, what was it, 44 seasons or something. He's got 4,000 club wickets or club and league wickets, Mm. which sort of feels a bit silly to be talking about that. But like you said, he chose to play those sort of forms of cricket. And it sounded like actually quite a lot of people did that because of... That was almost a professional game was playing in in those Lancashire leagues and Birmingham leagues and, and Staffordshire leagues where you got 
to a play against some very very good players every team had world-class players playing you know for you and, and against you and you literally handed a hat round and you know yeah. it was more than you would have got for your weekly wage mm, absolutely and I mean that's that's what we've got to come back to really when we talk about players that we haven't seen and that there's no footage of we have to go back to the narrative and we have to go back to articles and and, and primary sources of what happened at the time and that's uh, you know that's publications like wisdom and what does wisdom say about SF Barnes what do other players say about FS Barnes who have who have seen him play them against him and he is widely regarded by those primary sources as being the best ever so you know from that point of view when you take into account the stats and you take into account the the written narrative about him I, ha- I, I have no basis to argue that any of that stuff that we've seen is not real and when you look at a couple of tales where it says you know his his stock ball was to swing the ball into leg stump pitch it on leg stump and then hit off stump yeah cutters I read about a lot. yeah a lot of cutters and and at varying pace I actually think he'd be a brilliant t20 player because if he was able to change his pace up and hit the deck and then move the ball around and swing it, he'd be brilliant at T20. I mean, different wickets and, yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> Just slightly. Yeah, but, but the skills are there. The skills are absolutely there. There was a couple of stories then there that I did. So, yeah, I went to YouTube as well and um, ended up watching a doco on, on um, Sid Barnes that was on there and uh, a couple of good yarns in there about, um, yeah, the fact that you're talking about cutters, it sounded like he taught himself, you know, barely, barely any coaching in that time kind of taught himself all of these different skills. But the stuff that I kind of liked the most is that apparently if uh, if the captain set a field that he didn't like, he'd just run up and bowl lollipops and get smashed all over the park until the captain changed the field. Brilliant. Which is, uh, you know, I guess the, the sort of level that we're talking about when we talked about WG Grace and, and players of that era that I guess are playing in those leagues and know how good they are and how far above their competition they are, that they can just say, look, Give me what my what I want, or uh, or I'm not I'm not playing. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Well, boys, we've got to the end of our nine minutes on Sid Barnes, and that's kind of flown by. Um, a couple of seasons for Warwickshire early in his career, eighteen ninety four to eighteen ninety six, which segues to another player that had a very successful. Uh, time at the Warwickshire County Cricket Club, but um, perhaps better known for his international career. Who do we move on to next in our Hall of Fame, Baldy. That was a brilliant segue from you, Adam. That's some of your best work. Uh, let's go to the West Indies again. Uh, Brian Charles Lara, uh, one of my absolute favourites. 131 tests, 11,953 runs at 52.88, 3,400. A higher score, of course. How could we forget? 400 not out. 16 years, eight of them outstanding. So eight of them averaging 55, I think, or more. Um I mean, you have a look at his peak seasons. 94 was that was that, that famous season. 996 runs at test level at 71. Higher score, 375. You know, 2003, average 74. Higher score, 209. Uh, let's have 1995. So back to back, 1,200 runs, 90, 95 at an average of 67. 600, uh, 400s in 1995. Just the guy, unbelievable cricketer. And I think the... A couple of players that I I really really hated not hated to watch but but enjoyed loved watching but just you had that feeling at any point if he's not out he could take the game away from you at any minute and no bowling was safe you could bowl anywhere on either side of the wicket and you could equally disappear to the fence on the other side of the wicket uh, when you were bowling to Brian Lara. He's the guy I'd least want to bowl to I think I mean Tendulkar would take me apart but I I wouldn't want to bowl to Brian Lara. 
Well, it's good that you gave Tinduka that praise, uh, that he'd take you apart as oh, well. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess with, with Brian Lara, I'm interested to see what you guys say about it. I've got like a little bit of a, a you know, what do they call them? A positive and then negative and then a positive kind of sandwich mm. for um, for Lara. I guess, as you've mentioned, he was an incredible batsman. For, for years, that sort of 20-year period, 1990s through to the, the 2000s, it was just the Lara and Tinduka show. And then they were the, the, the greatest batsmen around until the likes of you know, Ricky Ponting came on the scene and stuff like that. But when I actually thought about him, the first thing I actually, that, that stuck in my head a little bit was, I don't know, I felt like he was a little bit selfish in the way that he batted and, and, and perhaps played the game. Like the, that one where he scored the 400 against England to get it back from, you know, uh, Matthew, from back yeah. from Matthew Hayden and kind of made sure the game was a draw because of it, possibly. Um, I just, I yeah, that, that's an interesting sort of, that, that thought popped into my head straight away. Mm. Um, and also, you know, we judge these these guys their greatness on on their wins, their team successes, and I don't remember the West Indies being a very very good um, good team during that period. Well, me, can I just finish my positive sandwich because yeah. I want to finish it off? The one thing that I also do remember about Brian Lara is he's somebody that you did not want to piss off when he was at the crease. He had an uh, incredible mental strength that when you sledged him, it would just absolutely turn him up to eleven. So that's something I really admired about him. There's my sandwich. I, I will I'll just jump in because I had the stats here about his. Um, he only had 100. He had 130 tests, but he only won 32 matches, which is it's it did seem low as well when mm. I was looking at that. But then yeah, when you say it, it the West Indies, you know, they weren't a strong side. Yeah, put it in context, right? Yeah, 1994 was that series against Australia where Australia started. I think Australia beat them first time 94-5, and that was really the point at which the West Indies as a cricketing powerhouse declined over that 10 years. And in fact, if you think about it. From his 375 in 1994 to his 400 10 years later, and it's hard to believe that those two were 10 years apart, West Indies were pretty nadirish in terms of a cricket team. So he really had to carry that team almost by himself. And I, 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 my hypothesis is that he was selfish because he had to be. He had to be selfish in all circumstances, and maybe he was, you know, you could accuse him, you could suggest that perhaps he was overly selfish sometimes, that's probably fair, but if he wasn't, then if not him, then who, you know? Um, to, to your point, Raj, Brian Lara had seven scores in test cricket of 175 or more where his team lost the game. Like that's that's a, that's, a that's incredible. No one comes close to that, by the way. I think no no one else has more than like two or three. But Brian Lara has seven scores of one hundred and seventy five plus. It's just incredible feat of of perseverance for a team that was, you know, other than Shiv Chanderpaul, didn't really have any other world class players in that period. Well, batters. batters. Oh, sorry, world class batters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had some decent bowlers. Fair enough. Yeah, look, before I get on to Brian Lara, I'll just jump in and help Baldy out. You know, of, of course, um, Lara's going to take him apart because he's a left-hander <laughs> and Baldy spins it into left-hander. Um, Sachin might is. struggle a little bit yep. more because of the ball spinning away. So we've got we've got to, we've got to be balanced on this podcast. And um, the, the memory for me of, of Lara is undoubtedly, you know, he had those two amazing innings against England, uh, the three seven five, and then the the four hundred, a five hundred and one in a county game. Um, against Durham where the keeper dropped him um, on I think eight or nine and turned to slip apparently and said um, oh I think that might cost us and, and you know <laughs> two, two days later it certainly uh, certainly had the story from around Warwickshire at that point was that he would literally bat 
And then he, because he'd been on this sort of roller coaster with that world record score, both in the test match and then in that um, county championship, he was just such a hot property from a media perspective. He used to have a sleeping bag in the dressing room and, you know, apparently he used to just nap when he could during the, the course of that season. The, the thing that stands out for me, though, is his retirement speech um, when, you know, he was he was clearly, you know, very, very emotional, almost in, in tears when he was sort of going through um, that speech after his last test, which I think was against Pakistan. Um, and, and, you know, he, he asked the, the crowd a question. He just said, I hope, you know, I've entertained you. Um, and certainly for me, uh, you can talk about Tendulka, you can talk about some of the other players that, we, you know, we'll, we'll get to, that, you know, there's a, another fantastic batter that's going to follow up here. And, um, I, I, pound for pound, I don't think there were players that were more entertaining than him on a long-term basis. Um, the way he toyed with Gareth Batty in that 400, Batty would move his short, fine leg um, and Lara would just dink it to where his short, fine leg was. He'd move the guy back, he'd just hit it where he'd move the man from. It was almost like he was taking the piss out of him for two hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, possibly the most entertaining batter of certainly my watching generation, I think. Oh, I, yeah, again, that that backlift and like I remember, you know, he's left-handed, I'm right-handed. I was a terrible better he was a fantastic better that's you know there's no comparison here but like he's the first person that i remember trying to emulate as a better and and trying to you know copy things that he did because they were just so amazing and the sewing machine got lost in translation yeah, it, it, didn't, it didn't quite work out that way but yeah like just yeah the, the class i guess with everything that he sort of did it seemed like it you know he'd get four runs but it, it looked like it was such a better shot than just four mm. runs you know everything kind of was just amazing at watching him. Mm. It, it, sorry, I was just going to say, it feels like he's got, he's got the best hand-eye of that era. And, and almost up up until... I mean, you could even... He probably had better hand-eye than Smith. Smith's got pretty good hand-eye and, and a terrible technique, and we'll get we won't, we'll, <laughs> yeah. go, we'll gloss over that. Hopefully yeah. we won't get to that on the podcast. No, no, we, we, we've we already talked about him, I think. Um, but, 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 yeah, I reckon, I reckon he's got the best hand eye we've ever seen because when he was in form, you could bowl anywhere. It didn't matter. And he'd hit you anywhere, anywhere he wanted. And it was just ridiculous, really. It was outrageous. Yeah. And, look, I think one of the biggest piss takes was he played golf right-handed because he, he didn't want to affect his, um, his cricket technique by um, letting any of those sort of bad habits from his, uh, his, his cricket um, or his golf, sorry, get into his cricket and, and played off single figures right-handed. I mean, that's just... <laughs> to be honest, that's just too much talent for one person to actually have. Uh, it's it, it's absolutely ridiculous. Something. You talked about SF Barnes. How good a T20 player would he have been? Oh. Yeah, he would, yeah. Yeah. I think the fact yeah. that we've all just sighed. Yeah. <laughs> we have nothing to say, yeah. Bully, Bully I want to bring it back to you because um, like we just heard you know, the English point of view, those runs just stacking up. The series that I immediately thought of with Lara was that 99 against... When he kind of was single-handedly taking on Australia, when Australia was, was that sort the two seven seven series? Uh, no, what did he get? He got uh, he got a t he did get a two hundred. He got one hundred and fifty three not out. Uh, get, getting them across the line, nine down, chasing three hundred and eight. Scored a hundred also in that series. Series was two two. I, I vividly remember. Well, I was fifteen. I remember hearing about that series. I didn't have like I didn't have Sky. I don't even know if it was broadcast in New Zealand, but I mm. remember hearing bits and pieces on the radio. We used to be able to when radio sport was around and um, before that we could get listening to the, the Australian cricket commentary. Yeah. I just, that, that was self immediately just went like that sort of felt like Lara's biggest moment where he, he was running down the wicket at Warren, smashing mm. him all over the park, McGill dealing to him. They had, you know, that was right when they had McGrath 
Gillespie. It was sort of the best in the world, and Brian Lara was taking them on. And, and destroyed them. Absolutely, absolutely owned them. And it was McGrath, it was Warren, it was Gillespie. I think it was a little bit of Brett Lee. It might have been Casper. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter who they were. It could have been anybody. It could have been a world eleven, and he still would have taken them apart. At his best, he he took out every bowler. It didn't, it didn't, didn't matter. Well, we've come to an end on Brian Lara. We are going to continue the theme. We're going to go to another Warwickshire player here um, on the list. Uh, again, an illustrious international uh, career, but amazing how much talent ends up in Birmingham, isn't it? Um, Bordy, who have we got and who are we going to talk about last? So we're going to get nine minutes on the clock um, for, a, again, an, a player very pleasing on the eye. Oh, very pleasing indeed. Yes, let's go to uh, Sri Lanka and have a look at Kumar Sangakkara's career at number eight in the Hall of Fame. 134 tests, 12,400 runs at 57.4. I'll let that sit there for a minute. 12,400 runs at 57. 3,800s, highest score of 319. 16-year career, 16 calendar years, one good, Two excellent, seven outstanding, one Bradman. In fact, he had one 99 that didn't quite qualify because it was 99.2 and not 99.9. But so so just just real quickly to open the show, uh, because I know people are going to talk about it. As a wicketkeeper, 48 matches averaged 40.4 with 700s. As a designated batter, as not a wicketkeeper, 86 tests. 9,283 runs at 66.78 with 31 hundreds. I'll let that sit there for a minute. It, it's The stats are staggering. It, it, did you guys, I mean, Baldy, you've just talked, Raj, Binksy, did you guys kind of, I, I, no, I honestly had no idea that his average was this good when he was playing. I, I feel like that was just not something I ever even thought about. I knew he was a good player, but never thought he was like, the best player in the world. So I guess just a little insight into the behind the scenes. We get the sort of players who are in the next episode, but we don't know what order they're in. And I'm really happy that you've put Sangakara actually ahead of uh, Brian Lara in, in, in this sense. I think the first line on my notes here is that he's one of the most underrated cricketers of all time, mm. Kumar Sangakara. Uh, I think if you asked, for us, I don't, I'm probably not, for people listening to this podcast, probably not, but I think if you asked the, the random person in the street, Brian Lara or Sang- Kumar Sangakara, Brian Lara is going to win every single time. But mm. The numbers that you just mentioned are incredibly staggering. Binksy said he was so graceful. On He was so good to watch. Um, and he scored those big daddy hundreds, which I love as well. Um, I, and I'm also surprised, like, he, he actually scored a lot of runs against New Zealand as well, oh, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I just think he's, he's a really good player. I, I, would, I do want to unpack it a little bit later maybe around why perhaps Sri Lanka didn't do so well with, 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 with him, Dawodna, Dilshan, Murali, all these guys who had, ended up playing at once mm. um, and they didn't, probably didn't get to the heights that they should have. Could have, yeah. I, I, it's, I think you're right. I think if you have a look at the, the Sri Lanka team, had such world class players, all time, all time greats. Murali, uh, Vas was world class. They, uh, you know, Jay Wardner, um, Kalu Wadarana, Sanat Jayasuriya, in that era that he played, and some of those were a little bit before Kumar's time, but in that kind of general era, Sri Lanka had some excellent, excellent players and really only have one ninety six World Cup to show for it. They have lots of finals appearances T20 and stuff. They have a T20 World Cup, you're right. Uh, but really only that one tournament in 96 to show for 
all of that talent over that long period of time. Yeah, look, I think you've got to remember they made their test debut, I think, only in the early 1990s, if I'm... Yeah, maybe could, late 80, yeah, 80s. But, but, but certain, yeah, but certainly the kind of build-up that they had. You know, the first memory I have, like many, is probably that 92 World Cup. Yep. Um, I think they fo- probably focused on the white ball cricket a little bit. Mm. Um, and they were probably always a seamer short. You know, yeah, they had Vass at one end and, uh, you know... A, with the exception of Malinga, I can't really think of another mm. um, an, another seamer that you know you'd mention in the, even the same yep. the same breath as uh, as those. That, although Lippy's just come up with one, and um, yeah, for for me, I, I'm going to disagree a little bit with Raj um, in terms of that underrated comment. I've you know I've always rated him that highly, and you know you compare that you know that, those statistics. Someone like Andy Flower, who averaged 55, carrying that Zimbabwean side, um, keeping and um, and batting, and then you look at these stats and they blow that out of the water. Um, he was an amazing wicketkeeper as well, like really really good keeper, mm. glove murally better than anyone I've saw you know saw glove murally after that, and that includes Jarvadina, who I think was a brilliant um, mm. keeper, Prasanna as as a, opposed to Mahela. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, look, he, he was just fantastic, graceful. And, and look, it, the, the thing I really like is his gracefulness as a batsman um, actually transcended into his gracefulness as a commentator. And he's one of those guys that I think bridges the game of cricket. Um, if anybody, you know, wants to kind of get into a YouTube, you know, rabbit hole, go and search out his MCC, um, Spirit of Cricket, Cowdery Lecture. Um, it was at a time of turmoil for Sri Lanka politically, which, you know, seems to be all the time, unfortunately, for them at the moment. But um, he bridged that and wove it into the sport and, and the opportunities mm. that had created for him and his countrymen. Just a fantastic watch if you've got uh, time to to go and seek that out on on YouTube. And uh, just picking up on the Sri Lanka thing, yeah, I, I actually think that they did, uh, picking up on what Banksy said, I actually think that their success, yes, it may not be to the level of Australia or some of those other teams in that era, but I actually think the huge amount of success in kind of getting them to a, a really respectable side, that was also at a time probably when um, you didn't really win much away from home. I mean, I know that's still sort of happening. Mm. Teams are getting better at doing that, but, you know, I'd... I, I would say that they kind of made themselves into a really legitimate side. And, I mean, New Zealand point of view, we would take a T20 World Cup and, a, and an ODI World Cup. I would certainly take point. those and have them in my history. Um, you know, so, yeah, I think very, yeah, just I think what they did for, for Sri Lanka cricket and built them up, you know, mm. the likes of Sankara and all that, yeah, massive job. I think I, I really like Kumar Sankara as a cricketer because he's a fantastic bellwether for whether or not in my view, people are really follow cricket and know a lot about cricket. If you ask someone how to rate Kumar Sangakkara and they don't rate him, I think that's a really good bellwether for how much people yeah. actually follow cricket. <laughs> Stop listening like, to them. Like, well, I think if, 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 you, if you really follow the game and you really appreciate greatness – those are the kinds of people who really appreciate Kumar Sangakkara for what he did. And, I mean, if you, if you think about it, his average as a wicketkeeper is the same as Matt Pryor, about 40-ish. Near as enough, it makes no difference. But you take that away, and he averages 66.7, which is better than, like, Headley, better than everybody, better than everyone. So, and, you know, and for 86 tests. That's and, not like a yeah, small not, sample size. Exactly. 9,000 runs at 66. It's, it's What's his home away record, Baldi, if you've got that? Uh, I it have it on me. 60, there you 60 go. home... 53 away, so still yeah, still very good away. I mean, yeah, obviously, some of those Sri Lankan pitches, I'm sure, you know, were, were pretty flat at that time. Good for spin, you know, yeah, flat for, 
for the home batters. Well, but ba- Barra thought for Dale Stane and Makairi Tini, who um, watched him and Mahela put on a 624-run partnership on yep. one of those uh, um, those wickets. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's just t- let's just touch on that because um, you mentioned Big Daddy Hundreds earlier, Raj, and I just wanted to touch on this because Lara and Sangakara, not surprisingly are at the top of the Big Daddy 100s list. So uh, players with more scores above 150, Tendulkar leads that. He has 20. Lara has 19 and Sangakara has 19. Bradman has 18. Her scores above 150. Uh, Sangakara has 11 double hundreds. Lara has nine. He has 11 double hundreds. That's out, and, that's and obscene. 190, yeah. Yeah, and Sangakara has three scores above 250. You're good at darts. Mm. <laughs> yep, 100, 100%. Lara has three scores above 250. Shout out to New Zealand here. Stephen Fleming, two scores above 250. Yeah, yeah. Um, so New Zealand are on that list. Um, yeah, just an incredible cricket. And then obviously Lara's got two two doubles and uh, sorry, two triple hundreds and of course one 400. So yeah, in terms of big daddy hundreds, these guys are really at the absolute top of the tree as far as that's concerned. Well, and I think carrying on from that, the the runs that Sangakara had when he was in form, you know, I went, I went back and, and you know, you go through and you look on Crick Info and you see the the you know every test innings that he had and you go through 2010 he went 137 103 219 42 not out 75 28 74 or 73 4 150 all in 2010 then you know in 2013 against Bangladesh he went 100 142 105 139 back to back 2014 319 105 147 and these are consecutive innings these are not like his highlights from that year and then I mean yeah, two fourteen carry twenty fourteen carries on. Sixty one, seventy nine, fifty five, twenty four, seventy six, duck, but then seventy two and two hundred and twenty one. Nice. I know it's Bingo. Like, it's absolutely unbelievable when you look through the, those runs of scores when he was going on and I mean that's how you get to sixty six average, right? That you just don't fail very often and that when you score when you get in you score these enormous, enormous runs. So yeah, what a what an amazing career. Well, guys, that does wrap up this episode of the Cricketing Hall of Fame. I'm I'm buzzing. I can't wait for the next one. Uh, that was an enjoyable 30 minutes or so, talking 10 through 8. Um, obviously going to be a lot of Australians on the list as we get into the final, uh, the final few. But look, do join us on the next episode of the Cricketing Hall of Fame, which will be in your podcast feed um, very, very soon as well. But for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. Thanks for listening. See you soon.